Welcome to Word of Life Church Podcast. We're so glad you're here, and wherever you're listening from, we believe that God will move to and through you from today's message. If this podcast helps you spiritually, will you consider helping us naturally? You can give online or become a monthly partner as we aim to help more ministries and release more content. You can give online today at thelife.cc. Enjoy today's message. Open up your Bibles with me today to the book of Luke. We're going to go to Luke chapter 15 uh, and just pick up where we left off last week. Luke 15. Uh, while you're turning, I'll tell you, me and my wife celebrated 18 years of marriage yesterday. Yes. 18 years. I am 39. My wife is 36. We got married young, 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 young. Uh, And out of that, we have seen God do some amazing things. And yesterday we were talking about those things of like, what have we seen in 18 years? What have we enjoyed? Top memories. And out of that, my wife said, yes, 99.5% has been heaven on earth. And I'm like, what about the other 0.5%? Uh, and she reminded me of a story that I'll tell you now. About a year ago, uh, me and my wife um, were, were going to bed. And out of that, I'm a hard sleeper. Do any, any, anybody else hard sleepers? Like, you fall asleep fast, and when you are asleep, you are asleep. I don't need a lot of sleep. I just need a couple of hours of deep sleep. And if I get a few hours of deep sleep, I'm good to go. Now, my wife, she needs like 17 hours of sleep. Deep, rim, light, all of it. Oh, <laughs> and I'm picking on you. Oh, so, But out of that, um, she tends to fall asleep a little slower than I do. Like when I get in bed, I'm almost out. Like two or three minutes, I'm down for the night until it's time to wake up. Uh, And so one night, I guess she was still kind of stirring and I'm kind of drifting asleep and she decides to kind of wax whimsical about me uh, and starts telling me how much she loves me and, you know, what she sees in me and how thankful she is to be married to me and like all of these things. Well, I'm awake, but not really right? Uh, So like I'm at this place where like I'm falling asleep and not fully cognizant of what she's saying, just really thinking about, I want to go to bed. And you know, that that kind of thing. And if you've been married for 18 years, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, And so it's just kind of one of those those things where like I'm, I'm about to doze off and she finally finishes. And before I know it, I gave the most stupid response back that you could give in a situation like that. You know what I said? She's like, you're, you're so wonderful. You're so great. It's such a joy to be married to you. And you know what I said back? Ditto. Uh, and yes, <laughs> that's it. And I was not fully aware of what I said, but the speed at which she turned around let me know I had messed up in a big, big way. And before I could say anything else, she's like, ditto. And I'm like, no, not ditto. Well, kind of ditto. Like, I mean, like everything that you said about me, it's exactly how I feel about you. And I wasn't fully aware of what I was saying. And like, please forgive me. She did not. It took her uh, a solid, you know, a year because she's still talking about it, Uh, you know, to to work to this place of forgiveness. But now anytime like one of us comes and like, babe, you're so awesome. It's just ditto uh, is what we say back uh, to just goof off and have fun. Um, And I was preparing for this lesson. I couldn't help but to think about that your heavenly father 
created you for no other reason than desire. He wanted to be with you and walk with you and me. And he wants to fellowship with us. Um, He wants to be known by us, and he wants us to know him. And out of this, he speaks constantly um, to our hearts and through Scripture, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. And, you know, pours out his love upon us and is, is waiting on us. And we see this through the story of the prodigal, waiting on our attention. That would be the word. Waiting on our attention to be on him and to draw near to him. And, and out of this, knowing that in our walk with him, that's enough. Like I, I love in Hebrews chapter 11 how it just talks about how Enoch pleased God. And the only thing we know about Enoch was he walked with him. He walked with the Lord. And um, this is, is what I genuinely have so big in my heart for this series um, is to stir your hearts up to pray. Uh, to draw near to him, to come into a place of yielding to him. And the text that we read last week was in Luke chapter 15. Uh, We see a prodigal come to the father, and out of this, Jesus is basically, let me backtrack, he's telling a story of what it's like to be in a relationship with us. And he's making up a story to highlight a spiritual truth about what it's like to walk with us. And he says, there was this young guy who was the son of a father, and he comes to his father, and he's like, give me my inheritance. And the father gives him what he asked for. And he gives him half of the inheritance, and the son walks away and breaks fellowship with his father. He chooses not to be in the father's house. He chooses to have no communion with him, and he chooses to engage in a season of sin. And in this season of sin, it's like, it's okay until it's not, because that's always the way it is with sin. It's okay until it's not. It works until it doesn't. And out of this, he comes to this place where mentally, physically, and spiritually, he's very low and depleted, and he's in a pigsty. This is not a pleasant situation, but I love how Scripture says this, and this is the ministry of the Holy Spirit in all of our lives. It says he comes to himself. And when he comes to himself, this is what he says, basically, what am I doing? I need to draw near to the Father. Now, here's the issue. He's had no works. There's been no perfection. In his life, like, literally, he's, he's littered with sin. You could say it this way. Sin is all over him. The consequences of his sin are literally all over him. It's in his hands, it's in his hair, it's on him. But in spite of his imperfection, he makes a decision to do something very bold. He draws near to the Father. And when the Father sees him drawing near from afar off, the Father does something amazing. And God said, you know what it's like for me to be in a relationship with you? I'm about to tell you, I'm a father who runs. And the Father comes running towards the Son who is walking towards him. Well, he's still a long way off, Scripture tells us. He's just walking to the Father, still a long way off, and the Father is running. And it says when the Father gets to him, he grabs him and embraces him. He kisses him in spite of his... Now, he's been in the pigsty. He's dirty all over. 
And the father is embracing him. He is kissing him. And then he is openly blessing him. And he's giving him a fatted calf and a ring on his finger. And he's covering up his shame with a robe of righteousness where no one can see his sin and no one can see the dirt on his life. There is this complete restoration to the father's house for no other reason than he came home. But when he comes home, he's not the only person, our brother, or child of God in the story. There's someone else there. And I, I want to come back to this and teach off of it today. Verse number 25. Now his older brother was in the field, Luke 15, 25. And when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. And he summoned to one of his servants and began inquiring what these things could be. Now, we mentioned this last week, but just for fun, let's review. Do you see this? He's hearing something in the father's house that is foreign to him. And what he's hearing is joy, peace, and intimacy. And he's never had that with the father. In fact, not only has he never had it, but the sound of it is unfamiliar to him. And this is what I find like so interesting, even in like the, the construct of our Christianity here in the South, is that there's still so much religion where you have people who have a, a logical awareness of the Father and they know who he is and they know his rules, do's and don'ts, but they have no fellowship with him. So much so that when they see people have fellowship with him and worship, they're like, what are they doing? What is this? Why are they kneeling? Why are they crying? Why are their hands raised? They don't even know what it is. Because their experience with the Father is so logical, but it's missing the experience. And can you imagine if you were a father, which I am, and all your kids had of you was a logical understanding of who you were. Like all they heard was, trust me, he loves you. Trust me, he died for you. Trust me, he wants to know you. Trust me, he, and that's all you had. You never, ex my children never experienced my touch. They never experienced my present, presence. All they heard was about me, but they never got to experience me. How shallow some of those beliefs could be. And this is why we have a generation walking away from the Lord. Because they have a logical understanding about the Father, but they have not experienced him. And we must begin to course correct these things. We must begin to, yes, know about the Father's house and, yes, know his rules. But we also must experience his presence and feel what it's like to be embraced by him. And feel what it's like to, to see his miraculous provision in our lives. You need to eat from the fatted calf. You need to know what it's like to be riddled with shame but feel his love for you anyway. And this is what the, the other son is having, but to the son who's kept the rules, it is so foreign to him when he hears it, he's like, what is that? And they tell him what it is. It's the father and his love. Watch this. Uh, and they said unto him, your brother, verse 27, has done what? Come. What did he do? He just came to the father. That's it. Your brother has come. Could it be that simple? And your father has killed the fatted calf because he has received him. 
Um, So do you see how easy it is to see open blessing in your life? You come, he receives open blessing. Uh, And your father has killed the fatted calf because he has received him back safe and sound. In verse 28, he became angry and was not willing to go in. In essence, he's not willing to draw near. He's not willing to come. He's not willing to do what the other prodigal did. He's not willing to, to draw near. So what did his father do? Once again, here you see the ministry of the Holy Spirit. The father comes out and begins pleading with him, pleading with him to do what? Come. Be with us. Be with me. Enjoy intimacy. Enjoy the father's house. Come. And watch what he says. But he answered and said unto his father, look, for so many years... I have been serving you, and I have never neglected a commandment of yours, yet you have never given me, forget a fatted calf, you've never given me a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when the son of yours came who devoured your wealth with with prostitutes, and I mentioned that last week, especially during the 1130 service, notice it's a season of sin, and it's a, a season of a particular kind of sin. It wasn't one, it's plural. And, and out of this, he's in a season of sin. When he came, but when the son of yours came, notice that's all he did, who has devoured your wealth with prostitutes, a season of sin, you killed the fatted calf for him? And he said unto him, son, you have always been with me. And all that is mine is yours. All that is mine is yours. You have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. All that I have is yours. Just come. Uh, We said this last week. I want to personalize it this week. My posture towards prayer reveals three things about me. And if you're, you're taking notes, you can write this down. If you're not taking notes, you can still write this down and act like you're taking notes. And it could impress your neighbor. Um, so out of this, my posture towards prayer reveals three things about me. Number one, the first thing it reveals about me is my desire for the Lord. On the way over here, in between 8.30 and the 10 o'clock service, um, from Highland Colony, where we have an 8.30 service, to here, Lakeland, and all of our campuses where we have a 10, I couldn't help but to think about the children of Israel. And we, we said this in a service here recently, like when Adam committed the uh, quote-unquote original sin and chose the apple or whatever fruit it was over the Lord, that it was not choosing an apple over the Lord. It was choosing creation over the creator. So it's either I can walk with God or I can consume what he's told me not to eat of that is here anyway. And he chooses creation. I got to thinking about the children of Israel. Like on their way out of Egypt, God's like, I want to bless you. And I want to make up for all that the enemy did to you. So he touches the hearts of the Egyptians. You know the story. If not, this is a cool story. You're about to learn in church. 
He touches the hearts of the Egyptians because the Egyptians have held the Israelites as slaves. He touches the hearts of the Egyptians to come and take off their gold rings, you know, bracelets, necklaces, all these things, and give it to the children of Israel. And it was like payment for what they did. And it's, it's movement of God, God moving on the heart of the Egyptians to be generous to the Israelites. And it's this wonderful work of grace. It is, it is open blessing. It is the father taking the fatted calf and slaying it, ring on the finger, literally. And you know what the children of Israel did when they got all that? A couple of months in the desert and in the wilderness, Moses goes up the hill to fellowship with God and comes down the hill with instruction. Now that's a note in and of itself. You go up to fellowship, you come down with instruction. You go up in fellowship, you come back with instruction. If you need instruction, you go up to fellowship, you come down with instruction. Um, and so out of this, you see Moses come and do this. And when he gets back to the, the children of Israel, you know what they've done with all this gold? All the things that God blessed them with, what did they do? It's the original sin all over again. They took the creation and what God blessed them with, and they turned it into something that they worshiped. They, they took all that silver, they took all that gold, they turned it into an idol, And the very thing that God blessed them with was the very things their lives were circling around. The very thing that God blessed them with was the very thing their life was circling around. The very thing that God blessed them with was the very thing their life was circling around. And what your life is circling around is your Lord. They made it, an interesting term, an idol. Now, in our life, um, and take, for instance, Hannah. Hannah wants nothing more, and for those of you who know Scripture, book of 1 Samuel, Hannah, and how it starts, chapter 1, Hannah wants nothing more than what? Anybody know? Yes, a child. Who's your pastor? They said it's so loud here at Lakeland. Yes, she wants a child. And so her world is circling around this, but it's not being given it's not being given. And one of the chief reasons why things aren't given to us is because of idolatry. Of we actually want that more than we want the Lord. And so we're not ready for it. We're not ready for it yet. Because if God gave it, our life would circle around it instead of our life and our family circling around the Lord. And so one day, God answers her prayer because her prayer changed. What did she tell the Lord in 1 Samuel? In prayer, she said, if you give me a child, what will I do? I will give him back to you. That my, my world will not circle Samuel. Me and Samuel will circle you. And as soon as that shift change, it changes in her life, she not only had Samuel, but many other children. And in our world, God blesses us with a job, and, and God gives us the, the gold from Egypt. But then how oftentimes does our world circle that job? God gives us kids, 
And, and instead of teaching our kids that our world circles the Lord, we actually train our children that the world circles them. And so it's like, here's football, here's basketball, here's baseball, here's all the sports, here's all the things, here's school, like where do the kids need to go? And our world circles the thing God gave us, and we're choosing the creation over the... And and God comes and he gives us a house, but then we have the mortgage on the house, and so all we think about is what? The mortgage on the house. And so even when we talk to God, what are we talking to God about? We gotta pay this mortgage! (laughs) And God has given me the creation. But my world is actually circling it more than the, the one who gave it. And so this is the heart of Matthew chapter 6. is take no thought for your life. Take no thought for your life. Take, that's literally a commandment from the Lord Jesus. Take no thought for your life. Why? Because wherever you're at mentally circling, that is your idol if it's not the Lord. And so you're reclaiming desire. We could say it this way. We said it last week when we were talking about this. Jesus, all throughout Luke chapter 15, is teaching a principle of what the Father's soul lights up for. God has a soul. Out of this, he laughs. We see it in in, uh, uh, Psalms. He laughs. He sings. He rejoices. There are things that his soul lights up for. And, And Luke 15 reveals that his soul lights up when fellowship is restored. When the the sheep is astray and fellowship is restored with the sheep, I put it on my shoulders and I rejoice and I want you to rejoice with me. When the coin is lost and I can't find it, when fellowship is restored and it comes back, I rejoice and invite the neighbors over. When the son who was lost comes back to me, I run to him and I rejoice. So in essence, your presence coming into his presence lights up his joy because you are the thing he has set his affection on. You are the thing, I am the thing that he has set his affection on. And we as Christians, Jesus is our affection, that we love him, and we, it's not like this casual love, it's with all of our strength and all of our might and all of our soul. He's the thing that has set our affection on. But in my own life, and I can't speak for you, I just know in my own life, there's so many things that light up my joy. And most of them are with the, the, the creation of the things that even God has blessed me with. What lights up your affection? What lights up your joy? When, when you see it happen, what, what happens in your soul that makes you feel like you're alive? And God is competing for that space, and that is what prayer is doing. It is yielding to him in, in that arena of my life and saying, at no point in my, my walk with you will the things that you have blessed me with become the thing that has my, my soul affection. That I choose the creator over the creation. That I, I choose you over this. That I, I didn't even come here for the open blessing. The prodigal. When he comes, he's coming for fellowship. The father then, because of his nearness and because of his closeness and his asking, is putting a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet. He's getting more than he even bargained for. 
And out of this, when your heart of prayer is like, Jesus, you are my desire, and God, you are my desire, because I see how much you love me, and I see how much you're with me, and I see how much you didn't leave me nor forsake me, and I want to draw near to you, prayer is you actually showing that, not just to the Lord, it's showing that to yourself. That like in this Jesus moment, how he teaches in Matthew chapter 6, that like when you pray, go out from the world, go into a prayer closet, shut the door. Don't even let the world know where you are. It's like you're shutting out distraction. You're turning off the phone. You're not checking the email. It's not just saying it's because like I, I need to focus. It's saying it's because I love you more than I love these things. I love you more than I love work. I love you more than I love Facebook. I love you more than I love entertainment. I love you more than I love myself. And so out of that, my posture, my personal posture towards prayer reveals to me, reveals to me my desire for him. And and maybe even you, when when you're hearing that or watching that on Fox or whatever it may be, it's like, oh man, like you feel shame based off it. Don't feel shame. God is not a condemner, but he is a God of conviction condemnation comes from the enemy. It's like, golly, I've been terrible. Conviction is, I think I need to change. And, and out of this like heart shift, I'm able to turn my life. And if you are able to become this person who's like the prodigal of inherently flawed and maybe even like holding the consequences of your sin and like the prodigal, maybe even in this season of your life, marked by it. That out of that, if you will just come to him and just draw near to him, you will see not only intimate fellowship restored, but also open blessing of him removing your shame and empowering your life. The second thing that my posture towards prayer reveals about me is my level of humility. And I want to add this word for clarity uh, that I did not get to last week, self-reliance. Um, a prayerless life is a prideful life. When I am not praying about something, it is me saying, God, I can do this without you. And I may not be meaning that, but prayer is the way we get heavenly intervention. And so if I'm not praying about this, what, what I'm saying is I'm relying on self and others, and, and flesh will be the source of my strength. And so prayer is you humbling yourself under his mighty hand and saying, God, I am done just thinking about this. Now I am going to pray about this. Uh, The other day, I was actually uh, thinking about something um, in my life, and it, it wasn't necessarily worry. I don't know if any of you can relate to this. It wasn't necessarily worry. I was just trying to, like, see the future. And I kept thinking about it of, like, if that happens and if this happens, what would I do if this happens? I'm like, I hope that happens, and I hope that works out that way, and I'm just thinking about that. And just the still, small voice of the Holy Spirit arrested me, and he just said, do you want to pray about that? Or do you just want to think about it? Do you want to pray about that? Or do you want to just think about it? Do you want to pray about that? Or do you just want to talk about it? Do you want to pray about that? Or do you just want to work on it? 
And when I'm praying, what I'm saying is, is I don't just expect my hand or other people's hands to solve this. I believe I've got a God who loves me and I'm going to act like it by asking for his assistance on the things I'm talking about, thinking about, and working on. And so I'm going to humble myself under his mighty hand and I'm going to ask for his assistance. And then the third thing is, is it reveals a level of kingdom understanding and my understanding of how God works. And I'll I'll close with this. The, The son, in spite of living in the father's house, the other son, not the prodigal, the other one, he lived in the father's house, kept all the father's rules, but he did not see or have an understanding of how the father's house actually worked. In his mind, if you keep all the rules, and, do, and this is for a lot of people, this is, and maybe you're watching, and this is what Christianity is for you, or you're at a campus, and this is what it's been for you. Maybe you're new, and like this whole message of grace is different. But you, you have thought of like, you know what Christianity is? It's just a bunch of people and pastors telling me what to do and, not, and what not to do. And that's exactly the way this son thought of here's the rules. And, and he took it a step further, and you can hear his pride. It's like, I have kept all of them. All the do's, I knew them. All the don'ts, I didn't know them. And for a lot of people, this is like, well, that's how you're quote unquote a good Christian. You go to Sunday school and you get the stock. And, and, you know, out of that, I've done the do's and I've not done the don'ts. And so I'm okay, right? And like, God will bless me, right? And like, God will be good to me and there'll be healing and open blessing and fellowship. And it's like, no, not necessarily. Because his understanding of the father was off. And let me show you how flawed this is. Once again, celebrating 18 years of marriage. What if my my wife never felt my love for her unless she was perfect? What would that say about me as a husband? If I came to her and, and I said, look, for us to be married, I got all these rules. And unless you keep them perfectly... You will not be blessed or loved by me. If she ever came to a place where she kept all the rules and qualified to be blessed, what would get the credit? She would. And who would look bad? I would. You made her do what? To be loved by you? To be helped by you? To be embraced by you? And then we would look at her and be like, well, good for you for being able to come up to that standard. And when we live a life of works and rules and it yields fruit in our life, we get the applause and be like, man, you were awesome. Good for you. But then it's done for a lot of people. It's made God look like, well, that's that's all it is, is rules and regulations. And his understanding of of God and the Father and the way the Father's house is is off. Because there are two moments in the Father's house in the story when he gave, and here are those two moments. Number one, it's in the book of Luke chapter 15 and verse 12. What happens? The prodigal comes to the Father, and what does he do? He asks, Father, give me. Give me my portion of the inheritance now. And when he asks, what happens? The father gives. 
And the second time in the story when the, the prodigal uh, is, is being given to by the father is in verse number 30. And let's look here at verse 30. But when this son of yours came, you killed the fatted calf for him. So in the father's house, he's not basing these things off of perfection and rules. He's basing it off of surrender and asking. And when you survey the miracles of Jesus in Scripture, it is not him knocking on the door of the woman with the issue of blood and being like, I have sinned, you have kept all the rules, and I am here to bless you because you've been so well and so good. It is her leaving her house and her pressing through and just the surrender of reaching forth her hand and grabbing a hold of him. That when you see people who saw a miracle in their life, it is when they made a decision to like interrupt God, put pressure on God, tear the roof off and let your friend down before God. They're putting all the pressure on him. They're, they're, they're knocking on his door and tapping him on the shoulder and being like, my daughter is sick to the point of death. Will you come and pray for her? And he's like, yes. And God sometimes will unilaterally move on your behalf for no other reason than he has to get your attention. It's like the, the, the other son. It's like the son is living so far, far away, even in the father's house, so far away from the father that the father has to come to him. And he's like, what are you doing? Come to me. And sometimes you are Saul on the road to Damascus and God's been trying to like prick your heart, letting you know, like, I have been calling you for something entirely different than what you're doing, but you're not sensitive to the pricks of the spirit. And so God comes for you unilaterally of like apart from you just to wake you up and thank God he will do that. Thank God he'll move like that. But most of the miracles of Jesus was not him knocking on doors. It wasn't him like going to Jairus' house. And it's like, I think like I was praying and your daughter's sick. Can I come in and pray for her? It is these people, these imperfect people, these people like me, these people like you, taking time out of their regularly scheduled routine and drawing near to God because faith is revealed in kingdom understanding. When you understand that God moves when we move upon God, that God moves when we take the time to pray, that God moves when we take the time of like, God, you need to speak now, you need to move now, and and put the pressure on the Lord and say, you know what, I'm not going to take all these cares and think about them any longer, I'm going to cast my cares over upon the Lord who loves me, I'm going to take it to the Lord in prayer, I'm going to surrender these things unto him. That it's in those moments where heaven comes. And it's in those moments where we see God begin to change things. In in the book of Luke, I want you to see this, and I I really will close. Luke 8, verse 45 through 46. It's the story of the woman with the issue of blood. Jesus is walking and all these people are touching him. But watch what he says here in the contemporary English Bible. I love this. He turns around and says, someone has touched me. And the disciples are like, master, the multitudes press thee and crush thee. He's like, you got people all around you touching you. Watch this. But he answered and said, no, someone has made a demand 
on my ability. Oh, come on, church. Someone has made a demand on my ability. And what we're doing in prayer, it's not some kind of cute token little prayer. It is us coming and saying, God, we know you're all powerful. God, we know there is nothing you can't do. We love you. We also rely on you and we understand how you work, that you move when you are drawn near to, that you give when you are asked. So we are not going to just work on this. We're going to pray about this and we're going to demand your ability on this situation. And God's like, I like it. I like it. I like it. Because without faith, it is impossible to please him. And faith puts a demand on the ability of God. Amen. Amen. Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you for each and every person here today. And I thank you that each and every one of us make a decision to put a demand upon your ability. Father, you have no rival. You have no equal. That there's nothing we could do in our own strength that would ever rival what you could do in yours. So let each one of us make a decision to live a life of prayer that we retire from our own works and our own hand and we submit and surrender our lives to you. Father, we thank you for these things, that it will not be by our might or by our power, but will be done by your spirit. Father, we thank you that our arms of the flesh will, will cease. And Father, our life of the Spirit will kick out to a new level. That Father, we have seen the best of what our hand could do. But Father, it's time for us to see the best of what your hand can do. And so we pray, Father. We pray, we pray humbly, we pray simply, we pray many times imperfectly. But we draw near. And I thank you, Father, that in drawing near, we hear from your Spirit. That many of us, like Moses, need to go up the hill. Up the hill in fellowship and come down with instruction. That we need to have a Jeremiah 33 moment where we call unto you. And that you show us great and mighty things which we do not know. And so, Father, I thank you that for all of our church and for all of our campuses, we're more surrendered to you in prayer than ever before. And that a spirit of prayer just sweeps over our families and sweeps over our homes. And we draw near to you in simplicity. We love you, Lord. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to invite our campus pastors to all the campus stages. Uh, Here at Lakeland, um, I would like to just close with a a prayer of surrender. And I, I just sense like, you know, we do this at the end of a service where people can rededicate their life or... Make Jesus the Lord of their life. But some of you, like you have just reached the end of the flesh. And you have just been tired. 
And it's just because your flesh has been so burdened by what you are trying to work out in your own life that it has exhausted you mentally and maybe even physically. And I think what Jesus is trying to say to you today is come unto me, all of you who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And what that means is like when you had two animals that are yoked, they would take uh, like a, a weaker or a baby animal and, and attach it in a yoke with a big, thick oxen who was actually doing all the work. And in being yoked to this big oxen who was actually pulling the load, the, the other little animal oftentimes would have the time to develop in strength. And I sense like, like that little oxen just trying to like carry that heavy load. You've been doing it and you've made little progress and it has exhausted you. And Jesus is just saying, will you surrender and come unto me and let me yoke up with you and come to this place where you quit thinking about it and you start praying about it and let me just join up with you? And you'll see progress, like God moving things quickly and easily, not because you're doing anything different other than you got yoked up to something a whole lot bigger and stronger than you. And so right now at Lakeland, every head bowed, every eye closed. And if you're here today and you say, Pastor Joel, I want to surrender my life afresh and anew. I want to come to Jesus. And maybe for some of you that is rededication or for salvation, but maybe for others of you today, this surrender is is that moment where you come unto him and you say, I want to yoke up with you. And Holy Spirit, help me come into this position of prayer. Help me come into this position of consecration. And if that's you today, I, I want you to just come unto him and you, you, in your seat, and I understand that's hard, but the way we'll do it today with every head bowed and every eye closed is just lift up your hand. It's just surrender to Jesus. Hands going up all over the room. There are so many times in my life I could raise my hand for these things. I could have the other day. Like, you want to keep thinking about this or do you want to pray about it? Like, you want to carry this yoke or do you want to yoke up with me? Thank you, Lord Jesus. Now, everybody in here, let's just pray this prayer together. You can just repeat it after me. Say, Dear Heavenly Father, today I make a decision to come to you. I will no longer carry this issue all by myself. I'm not alone. I have a Father who loves me. An all-powerful, almighty Father who loves me. There is no limit to your hand. And today, Father, I yoke up with you. My past, it is over. My sin, my shame, my guilt, it is over. It's under the blood of Jesus. And today... I'm different. I feel it. I'm different. I'm washed. I'm cleansed. And this is the beginning of the best days 
of my life. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Oh, come on, church. <laughs> Can we celebrate Jesus?